Cathy, um, I can't tell you how excited we are to invite you onto the Sales Transformation Podcast, and it's uh, it's just an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Great to connect again, and uh, very excited to join you today to talk about the Future Readiness Framework. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, it's such an important topic, and I think there's so many organisations out there who are going to be sort of questioning their capability uh, to be future ready. So, and I know we've been talking about this concept for quite some time, I would say. And, um, and, but I think that it's going to be very, um, it's going to be very helpful for our listeners to understand a bit more about what, what do we mean by this concept and when, when did this idea of future ready emerge? So I wonder if you can give us some um, a little bit of background, Cathy, to where it all started. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, first of all, for those joining us on the podcast, um, I'll just share a little bit about my background and experience so you, you can get to know me a little bit better. And that will probably set some of the context for the whole future readiness movement. Um, so I've been in many different leadership roles uh, over now just over 30 years in the technology space, which obviously is a very fast-paced change and a huge amount of change over the past 30 years. And working with many different cultures as well, I've had the fantastic opportunity um, actually over the last decade to spend over half of it outside of the UK, um, living and working in Japan and in Asia. Um, and if I reflect on really the Future Ready movement and how it really happened. It's certainly a journey of many experiences over the years to, um, to connect the dots, to really look at helping people and organizations make sense of complexity and just the pace of change um, and provide practical ways to be able to not just survive in the future, but thrive in the future, both from an individual leadership perspective and also a, an organizational perspective. And, and those experiences over the years have, have started to come together uh, with many others who are passionate about this topic in the future readiness movement. So when we talk about future ready, you say it's a movement and, um, and so this this is a movement that includes not just yourself, but many other people from what different walks of life, different kind of entities and organizations. It's not just uh, a kind of concept that that you framed. It's part of a a movement, so to speak, that goes well beyond you. Yeah, exactly. I think it it all starts it all starts with with a, me and my values in terms of lifelong learning, always wanting to keep two steps ahead, you know, in sales language, win and keep winning and strive for that top performance. But it's, it's never about one person. Um, and in order to scale change and scale transformation, it's about how you engage the collective. And certainly the journey I've been now on over the past several years has been working with many different parts of organizations, both from an operational perspective, um, to lay the foundations for operational maturity models to scale, uh, obviously the use of tech in helping scale, 
and working with human-centered design, life-centered design, uh, mindfulness, uh, the management shift and, and their new and emergent leadership programs. Uh, but I guess at the simplest level, it's, it's breaking it into how do you help organizations change and how do you help individuals and people change so that the two need to change together if you're going to create sustainable transformation for the future. But yes, many, many different parties uh, along the way. And I, I think um, especially now it's more about community and collaboration to be able to, to solve what a, is you know, huge complexity and continuing complexity in the world we live in. Yes, and just again for the benefit of uh, the listeners, that um, of course we know uh, we know uh, of Kathy and Kathy's work from our experiences of working, you know, with SAP, and have seen uh, from from Europe the kind of uh, really amazing initiatives that have been coming out of the APJ reason, Kathy, which is where your last role was, I think, with with SAP be be right. before you you kind of moved moved on. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I I know of the complexity of that organisation. <laughs> I know the amount of change going on, but it was um, it was really quite interesting to hear you start talking about redefining sort of what your role was as you know in 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 sales operations, you know, for that region, mm -hmm. and then out of that emerging this new way of thinking about being future ready. So. Yeah, it's been uh, amazing to kind of observe from a distance your 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 journey. Um, so, what would you say were were you know some of the biggest kind of you know when you started to to engage with this sort of change process, this shift in sort of thinking about future ready? What what were some of the biggest challenges you felt you faced when you observed? you know, the ability of an organization to embrace future change. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we, we know we, we always expect to have resistance when we put in any change and transformation. I think, what's the quote? Transformation programs over-promise but under-deliver on a consistent basis. So we have a, a lot to lock up to. And I'll, I'll share a bit some of the, the challenges that I think many of us have probably experienced throughout the time that, that we've worked. But maybe just to go back to the context in which I was really trying to operate and build the community to change. My mm -hmm. former role in SAP as Chief Operating Officer of Asia Pacific Japan um, I mean, SAP is the largest business applications company in the world. Um, if you put it into context of the organization, we're talking about an organization in Asia Pacific, Japan, of several thousand people. Under the COO team, there was just over a thousand people across five very diverse market units from Australia, New Zealand, India to Southeast Asia to Japan. Um, and so... Whilst I'm very passionate about change and I had the vision to evolve the COO role to be more future focused, and I framed that as the chief anticipation officer, it was, yeah. it was Kathy's vision. It was my vision. And, and actually what I really learned very early on is that in order to scale the change at that level, clearly you need to 
create a common language for change to be able to engage a much bigger team and engage the collective on that journey and create a system that is going to sustain the change when people change within the organization. And of course, a system that is inclusive of our customers and our partners in the broader ecosystem. So the most I've learned in it throughout my career, it all came together really in my most recent role, just because of the scale of change that we as an organization needed to drive, switching from a on-premise business model to a subscription and service business model. And also um, the change in mindset, the change in sales behavior, the change in the overall customer engagement model that needed to evolve with that. And, and so that's also really where the whole future ready piece came out. Now, when I when I first shared that, that vision to, to be, you know, the chief operating officer becomes chief anticipation officer. It was it was met with a I think a, a mixed response if I if I'm completely open um, <laughs> and really again back to the two levels of the challenges first and foremost individual change and and really our our bias when we say you've got a brain you've got a bias and cognitive biases to status quo bias to to stick with what we know. And, and a lot of that, okay, well, you know, Kathy, we've got all of these issues, operational issues we need to fix first before we can even start thinking about the future. And by the way, is that even our role? So there was a lot of um, bias that just being human means there's status quo mm -hmm. bias, there's loss aversion bias, um, and there's defensive decision-making that all are challenges that can be addressed but again to be aware of those challenges and then on the organizational side there's challenges around perhaps and I feel we've spoken about this many times you now outdated working practices working practices that look to the past mm -hmm. rearview mirror not about how to create a methodology and practices to build future um, and a common language for change um, and, and various other aspects. So I think there's biases at the individual level and challenges at the organizational level um, that need to be addressed together in order to be able to move forward for future readiness. Because I, I imagine that when you sort of embarked on this journey or were embarking on it, I mean, the, you know, in a sense, you you don't quite know what the future holds. That's the whole point about is it about being future ready? You, you know, the world is changing so much that we don't quite know what the end goal is. But, you know, what's important, I guess, from what you're saying is that we prepare ourselves mentally and organizationally, you know, to be open to the idea of this fast changing world that we need to be in and, and to, to be open to concepts of ambiguity and so on, which you've mentioned or, or already so I, I could imagine when, when you started talking about this that people in the room are going to be looking at you as if you're maybe smoking something rather strange and uh, wondering where on earth are we going to go <laughs> with this particularly for those in operations because it's a very sort of hands-on practical kind of making what we've currently got work not trying to 
reinvent the future in some way. But I, I'm 100% with you because I, I think that from all the kind of research that we've done and we've seen is that an organization's ability to to be agile, to think very quickly is, is critical, you know, to survive in this future world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what's interesting is to see what sort of ways in which you've systematized and structured um, processes to enable companies to think about this in a programmatic way. Um, and, and I hope you can maybe share some of those thoughts with you because you, you've designed them and you've built them. And I think that's, uh, that's what's really interesting. Yeah, I think um, it's certainly the experiences that I've had and then working, as I've mentioned, with many different parts of the community now is, is really to focus on providing practical methodologies to help people and organizations navigate this complexity and prepare for the future. I mean, as you said, there's no way we can predict the future. It's way too complicated. And that's what makes it such a challenge, I think, for people to even know where to get started. Um, Back to that Mm. common language to be able to speak about okay, how do we even talk about the future? What are the building blocks that make up the future? Because there are so many different parts to look at. And perhaps that's the foundation before I talk about the methodology and the practices that we put into place and most yeah. of the outcomes of that. There's really three building blocks where we're seeing and anticipating the most change for organizations and their people. And those three areas are how people will work in the future, so the future of work. And that is obviously evolving to become more flexible. Hybrid is the way forward. Um, More purposeful, so much more about what's the meaning in what we do. Um, And uh, more experience-led. And then if you look at the second building block, the future of business, so how do organizations do business in the future, there's a shift away from a singular focus on cost efficiency and effectiveness. And I mean, in the pandemic, we saw this over-optimization of a supply chain led to huge fragility in business models um, to the point that some Mm -hmm. businesses were brought down. And there's a shift from, you know, working individually to working in a networked fashion as part of an ecosystem. So the future of business by building in resilience to be more adaptable is about working in that network, a shift from me and my business to a shared value and a shared purpose. Um, and we're seeing those processes emerge. And then the final building block is, uh, we spoke about operations, which is uh, definitely now more intelligent led with intelligent tech. I mean, we've got the whole rise of ML, AI, the, the chat GPT and the impact that's having. Mm-hmm and more collaborative, um, and more agile. So those three building blocks start to go some way to creating a common language for people to, first of all, talk about, well, well, where are we today? Where am I today as a leader around how I manage my team, how I manage my customers and business, how I manage my operations? And then how do I start to have that conversation with the broader set of people in the organization to understand that benchmarking and baselining. Um, And that's really how the whole 
future readiness framework started was to help people make sense of the complexity by creating a common language to talk about future. Right. Could you just repeat those those building blocks again? So you've got future of work, you've got... Yeah, future of business. Of future of business generally, and then... Future of operations. And future of operations is the as the the three key headings and and then within so so what you're suggesting is that those three pillars if you like those foundation blocks provide a framework of conversation which can then help individual organizations i guess maybe individuals that working with them start to question uh, through those building blocks what you believe to be the critical components of building um, a future-ready mindset, I guess. Yes, that's at the organizational level. At the organizational then, level, organizational. yeah. It's like a maturity model and effect that what we then did from that common framework or those building blocks, we actually then looked at three sort of, again, sub-dimensions for each that were yes. relevant. So if you take future of work as, a, as an example, I think, probably most familiar for most people because we're, we're all working and, um, and working with different people. It's very much about flexibility. So we know yeah. people can work anywhere, anywhere with any who, and especially yeah. through the pandemic that disrupted many industries, but now it's very much the future of work is hybrid. So flexibility is one of those sub dimensions purpose. We talked about meaning. I think yeah. we, we all had a lot of time to think about, you know, what's important to us and what impact are we having? Um, and that meaningful and purposeful piece is, is another sub-dimension. And then the other piece is actually inclusivity. So in order to innovate and in order to transform, you want to be able to harness the power of diversity and diverse thinking and diverse perspectives. But in order mm. to harness that power of diversity, you need to do it in an inclusive way and make sure that that, that is really everyone's being included and the, that power of diversity is then driving innovation. So those, as one example, are the three dimensions that sit within Future of Work. Yes. Um, and then what we did is we created a simple self-assessment um, Yeah. With the purpose of taking our COOs, so when I, I think about my my role my, uh, in SAP, it was about yes. working with our respective COOs in the market unit for at the individual level for them to actually reflect, okay, for me and my business today, let me now think about, and again, we had a simple scaling from one to five, where am I against flexible working, purposeful and meaningful work? and um yeah the inclusivity aspect and and we did that for each of those three building blocks for future of business and for future of operations as well that's really interesting and when when you invited um your sort of ops team members to to self assess did did you feel they were realistic in the way they went about it or you know did did their self perceptions match what you felt they should be or did you sometimes question their answers yeah it was a, it led to a lot of interesting and insightful conversations phil so it's 
when you do the individual assessment, clearly you that's your perspective of your team and your business. And that's step one. Yeah. We actually created in the process. We then added in a step two that went to the respective leaders for each of those building blocks. So head of people, the HR leader, head of operations, typically head of sales or head of customer okay. for the business. And we did a deeper dive um, qualitative interview process independent of the assessment, the self-assessment. And we mapped a similar okay. diagnostic. And then what we did is we overlaid the diagnostic, yeah. the, the detailed interviews with the self-assessment. And that's where the aha moment come in because you can see where the gaps are. So no surprise what we found with a number of the team is that from an individual leader perspective, the ratings were higher towards future readiness. So okay. on a scale of one to five, if people are ranking three and above, it means they're, they're more future ready and agile um, and three and below yeah. is, less, is less so. And then we could pinpoint where there were the biggest gaps and that actually sparked a conversation about the different insights and the different perspectives as to, well, why is that the case and what's the evidence and what are what are the different parts mm. of the business thinking? And then that led into, okay, how do we prioritize together? How do we engage the collective? Because we've now, we're creating a common language with the three building blocks, people, yeah. business, and operations to start to build a future-ready roadmap. Yeah, really interesting. So what you're doing at this stage is you're really doing, you know, that early diagnostic in order to, you know, partly create the common language, but also to assess where the gaps are. Um, and without that first stage of self-assessment, I mean, you can't really move forward, can you? You need to get that self-perspective being fairly accurate. Otherwise, you wouldn't get that uh, call for action. It's, yeah. it's quite interesting. It's about baselining where people are starting from. Yeah. yeah. So that diagnostic is is really a starting point. And then what what you know what would happen after that? You've done the diagnostic. You then get these amazing connected conversations going. And I guess out of that, you'll start to build, you know, various thoughts and actions that that come out of that diagnostic. Is is that what you were hoping would 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 happen to lead to a more future-ready kind of mindset. Yeah, exactly right. So the step number one is really the awareness and the self-assessment yeah. to diagnose where individually you're starting from. And then yeah. step number two is to engage the broader team so that you get the collective yeah. and baselining. And then through a workshopping approach, I mean, we used um, – the next evolution of design thinking. So I think I mentioned life-centered design, um, human-centered design. So we actually use that methodology to workshop then where do we have the gaps? Where do we prioritize? Because you can't do everything. There are, you know, this, these, are, these are building blocks that need to be prioritized around mm. people, around the business engagement, around the operations. And then I think what's really important is taking those ideas into action and experimenting and learning. And that was where 
we worked very closely with the Consalia team to set up the lab environment. So mm-hmm. it's about creating a safe space to enable and allow people to, you know, break things, um, completely change things, challenge status quo, and have the right support and sponsorship to be able to really put that into action um, and experiment and learn. And also that psychological safety and environment that it's okay if we learn and things don't work. We'll then go back and we'll change the hypothesis, we'll challenge it in a different way. So that experimentation and learning um, that we did um, actually around our customer engagement model. So we had a what we call the LACE lab. The LACE stood for the new mm. customer life cycle. Um, and we experimented and learned a huge amount, actually, over this six-week period of the lab environment, taking a break, then relearning, seeing what worked, what didn't, mm-hmm. and creating what we then started to call next practices, um, because when does a best practice go out of date? Uh, right. Start to evolve next practices and a library of next practices that could be shared back with the community so that that then continually helps people adapt yeah. and the organization learns and we continue around that loop again. So that's really where the system starts to come in. It's you know, self-assessment, then the team, the road mapping, experimentation yeah. and learning, and then the library of next practices. And then we, we keep going around that loop um, with the community mm. and with our customers, most importantly. So this is not just an internal exercise. It's absolutely engaging the marketplace and our partners and customers to learn. Uh, it would be wonderful if you could, I don't know, share any any sort of examples of some of the things you saw happening as a consequence of what you did and it may be some of the markets that you operated in just to make it sort of come come more tangible, I guess. Yeah, we had, I mean, for each of those building blocks, there were some fantastic outcomes that happened over a period of time. So if I if I start with the people and the future of work, um, linking into you know, the the ideas that came out of that second phase. So when we've done the diagnostic and the baselining and we've yeah. looked at you know, the flexibility aspect or the inclusivity aspect, um, we had a great initiative that started around um, positioning and bringing um, jobs and roles to life in a more inclusive way. So we, the team recommendation from that working session was let's move away from the traditional job descriptions that um, are written and documented and let's create more of a, a chat show where the person doing the role today um, has a conversation about what happens in their day-to-day work, what what's the meaning for them, what impact do they have, and really bringing the role to life. And we did that together um, with our chief storytelling officer, who was the interviewer of the person in the role. And that created a huge amount of interest and building then uh, the, the the talent and succession in a much more inclusive way. So we increased our level of diversity in the talent pool and we increased the engagement by doing that. So that was one fun way that that we, we looked at a more mm. flexible approach. 
Um, and then the other quite fun one was we had the coffee corner. I think everyone, everyone's experienced a coffee corner and we still have many coffee corners. But as we know, in the flexible working environment, not everyone's in the office all the time. Um, and uh, especially during that time when we were all very much homebound and, and looking at working digitally and remotely, we were very much tied to our desks. And again, another idea that came through from the team was, well, why don't we do a coffee wonder? So we encourage people uh, rather than uh, in a podcast so they can put the headphones on, you know, get up out of their desk and it doesn't matter where they are, go for a walk, but it will connect people. Um, and so we actually reframed the coffee corner to a coffee wonder. And, and again, that, that increased the level of engagement. It was a very fun engagement and lots of different people spoke on that. Mm. So that's just a couple of examples, which ultimately led to an increase in employee engagement. So we had um, several percentage points increase um, year over year, uh, an increase in leadership trust and an increase in the business health and culture index all of which lead to, you know, a higher engagement and a higher intrinsic motivation. Mm. Um, so that, that's, that's just some examples from a, a people perspective. I think what's interesting more connecting to, I know a lot of people in listening into this podcast are very much on the, on the sales side and working with pre-sales organizations who are the you know, trusted advisor and are value creators working as part of the extended team with the customer. And for many years, our pre-sales organization um, basically managed their time on activity-based recording, so time-based recording. And then again, what we did when we looked at you know, the future of work, so you know, how do we want to be engaging with our customers? The suggestion from the team was, can we do away with our timesheets and our time recording and focus on customer outcomes? and look at the health of the relationship over the life cycle. And there was a pilot that we started over a, well over a year now with the Southeast Asia team where we put that into practice. And it, in a short period, the win rate started to increase, the deal size started to increase, where we'd focused on customer wow. outcomes. And actually a year on, because I connect, I keep very closely connected to the team, um, we're now seeing, it's actually gone from one part of the uh, region now across the whole region. Actually, it's going into a, a global um, vision to value methodology that is outcomes led. There's a two and a half X increased deal size. There's a four X increased win rate. And given this shift to the subscription model, there's a much higher retention rate of those customers mm. where we had the outcomes-led engagement from the outset. So again, that's a that was a really great initiative that sparked from mm. looking at how we engage with our customers. Yeah, just love the story. So when you talk about outcomes, I mean just to just to understand, you you went from a sort of time a timesheet kind of focus for the pre-sales teams, and and that's a I guess just logging is that right how much how many hours they're spending on which customer projects and i guess you know which level of the sales cycle where they're at I, I mean i'm just trying to to guess what it that might have looked like to this outcomes based model which is based on 
was that based on on pipeline or or, or how, how, what does that how would you describe outcome in that okay. context so so yeah so the time based recording was very simple it was it was um, activity based so how much time have i spent on um providing demonstrations, uh, pre-sales presentations, yeah. preparing proposals. It was all activity-driven. Um, and it didn't connect it to a, an outcome for the customer. So when, they, okay. when we shifted to outcomes, it was, it was more about having the right stakeholders in the room. So have we got the right okay. people in the room? Have we got the right vision? And do, do we understand the customer vision? And have we okay. created the customer the value they expect to get to if that vision is delivered on so it was very much about the right relationships the right vision the right value outcomes and now it, as it continues through the life cycle it was about continuing to innovate and value outcomes um, right. and value outcomes aligned to the customer vision so actually in order to as a pre-sales person, previously you could complete your timesheet and say, I've worked eight hours with customer X and 10 hours with customer Y. It then That was completely changed and it was the customer that signed off. Have we created a, our joint okay. value plan? Have we involved our stakeholders? Have we had the conversation about yeah. the so yeah, it was much more customer driven and validated than internal activity based. Uh, what, what I love about this, uh, Kathy, is the fact, of course, it relates quite strongly back to the uh, the values that we uh, talk about at Consalia around, you know, client centricity and proactive creativity and tactful audacity, you know, as being the differentiating mindsets. And it looks like the outcomes. Uh, that you've described, are we talking to the right people? Are we bringing innovation into the conversations and, and having them signed off by the customers are kind of, in a way, it's kind of endorsing, you know, in a way, those, those kind of mindsets as it relates to the uh, pre-sales team. Really interested to hear you describe it because when you talked about out outcomes, I wondered for a moment whether the outcome would be measured in terms of revenue or deals closed, which is a sort of lagging indicator and uh, what you've described is not it's really interesting for me to hear you you know also cite that as uh, as an example of some of the innovation that came out god that's wonderful to hear and that was again because the idea came from the team based on the conversation yeah. that started from the simple diagnostic around well how do we do yeah. business in the future with our customers given we're transforming our business model that was yeah. that needed a lot of support around it and sponsorship because clearly the time-based recording was baked into to everything. It was baked into compensation. It was baked into KPIs. It was baked into yeah. the way that the organization ran. But now that's really shifted to this whole vision to value methodology, which has a set of customer outcomes. And of course, there are the, the internal SAP outcomes, but the customer outcomes is where the sign-off was. It was build the vision, yeah. build the promise, maximize the value and innovate and grow. So it goes all the way through the life cycle. Yeah. And I, I just think that yeah. the outcomes themselves you know, speak volumes in terms of, you know, that the pre-sale increased value, deal size, increased win rate. Yeah. 
where there's a healthy engagement and now obviously increased renewal and retention because we're continuing to act mm. on that value. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's been interesting with the examples you've you sort of given of the variety of different initiatives that have sort of come out of the process, not not just in pre-sales, but also in other parts of the yeah, you know, the organization when you touch upon sort of diversity and and so on. So it's it's very um very powerful process. I can I can really I can really see that. Um in terms of where you've seen some of the biggest you know, sort of challenges with, with, with shifting organizations. Um, where would you say they've been, Kathy, from your experience? So the, I think when you look at the challenges, it's, it really does go back to most organizations have practices that focus on the past. They, they, they're the rear view mirror practices. They look to solutions that have happened previously and obviously, that's not necessarily going to help when we're looking at something that's completely new. So there's a lot of practices for solving business problems from the past. And there's no real methodology, uh, practical methodology for anticipating and planning for the future. They're back to the, the common language, the common building blocks. And, and how do we yeah. assess that? And, and so there's no guiding change within an organization to help do that. And interestingly, you know, this isn't just me saying it and my experience in you know, what is a very big organization. We actually worked with the Harvard Business Review uh, to go out and speak to 442 business leaders globally. Um, this was yeah. over a year ago to ask them about their business and the importance they place on being um, adaptive and, and being prepared for the future uh, compared to what are they investing in and how are they becoming prepared for the future. And what was really interesting from that research is nine out of 10 leaders absolutely agreed that it's imperative you know, we need to be future ready. We, we need to be building an adaptive culture. We need to evolve. We need to change. We need to transform. But on the flip side, less than one out of three said that they were really prepared or investing time in future readiness. So mm. it was, everyone knows it's super important, but a lot of people are saying, I just don't know where to start. And no surprise, it's, it's very complex back to all of the things that are being placed on a business and individuals um, to make sense of that complexity. And one of the biggest challenges, you know, as an example, if you look at perhaps, you know, an outdated working practice for, for want of a better frame, it, it's the planning process and decision making process that was actually from the Harvard Business Review survey, that was the biggest barrier to being ready for the future it was the slow mm -hmm. decision making and the you know very traditional annual planning process that again is is not really flexible or adaptive to to plan for future and and so that it's interesting that that was really one of the biggest challenges and when you start to look at well how do you address that challenge it goes back to 
what we were talking about earlier. There's an organizational barrier, outdated working yeah. practices, um, you garbage can management. I don't know if you've heard of that one, Phil, but you know, the a very chaotic way within decision making of organizations. You know, problems and solutions are thrown into the same pot and then you know, garbage in, garbage out. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's something that's referred to. Um, and also the whole you know, defensive decision making. Decision making is not necessarily in the interest of the organization. It's the best decision that can be best defended based on what's happened in the past. Um, so there's lots of bias and outdated practices that need to be addressed and challenged. And I, I think you know, the first step is awareness, which is the diagnostic. Um, yeah. The second step is then the prioritization. And the third step is putting it into practice and learning and evolving. And um, so my, you know, my hope as this evolves with the community of people that are involved is that we continue to learn and grow so that it becomes systematized. It's a learning and evolving system um, mm. that helps address that. So future-ready organization with future-ready leaders. Yeah. No, I, I think it's uh, such an important topic. When you were quoting the Harvard research earlier on, I was thinking – you said nine out of 10 think it's important. I was thinking, what about the one out of 10 that said it's not important? Because I, I would have thought it'd be 10 out of 10. You know, I, I, you know which CEO would you talk to say, would say it's not good to be future ready? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe that one was uh, the 10% are thinking about selling the company or something like that. They don't really care about the future anymore. They've, they've reached the end of... Yeah. <laughs> I just they're don't know. But... In survival mode, exactly. They're so there's so much pressure. Yes. In survival mode. They can't even think about the future. Yeah. 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 And I know that since uh, kind of uh, developing your thoughts, you've also branched into sort of with Professor Vlakalupic, the emergent leadership and some of the uh, sort of new thinking that's coming out of of that emergent leadership world as well. And we have of course, the great benefit of having you join us at our Global Sales Transformation event in December on yes. the 6th. So hopefully this podcast will go out fairly soon. But um, I think it's going to be terribly interesting to be in a forum at the London Stock Exchange you know, in a, in a month's time to kind of talk about this these future ready issues with what will be a very senior level a kind of audience that we're going to have there um and i guess you're going to kind of outline some of the you know the frameworks and steps that you've been looking at since you've started you know this practice kathy so i think it'll be terribly interesting and we're very much looking forward to you joining us. But is there anything that you'd like to share before we we sort of clo- close off the podcast session, Kathy, about this topic that you think we haven't yet covered? Or I'm very much looking forward to joining you and the whole team and uh, and having that dialogue and conversation uh, around future readiness and especially in in the sales environment and how to continue to transform and thrive in the future. And yes, we'll talk about. Yeah, why is change so hard? You know, why is it so tough? What are the barriers, both at an organizational level and an individual level? And then really yeah. throughout 
my experience and together with the Future Ready movement, talk about the practical methodologies to, to help people navigate this complexity. And that is a combination, mm. Phil, of the Future Readiness Framework together with the management shift. So I think it's great that Blacker mm. will also be joining us as well in the Emergent Leadership Program. Um, and then really a way forward. Uh, and what I'd like to leave everybody with is uh, the latest breaking news, because I am so passionate about this. Um, I've actually now set yes. my own organization, um, the Future Ready Fantastic. Agency. Uh, which will be championing the future ready movement and helping teams and businesses uh, deliver on those outcomes that we talked about and, and getting people started on that future ready journey. So um, more to share on that future ready agency and really look mm. to, to meeting everyone, you know, not too long now, only a few weeks till that happens. Only a few weeks. No, I love the name as well. Um, that you've created there, Kathy. It's a, it's a great name, Future Ready Agency. Um, yes, and I, I can just say, you know, sort of being a CEO of a, a you know a small business, I, I think that the whole topic is 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 one that keeps me awake at night uh, most of the time. What does the future look like, and what how do we need to adapt and adjust ourselves, you know, to um, and it's quite interesting, sort of linking it back to this notion of disruption. You know, what is what you know, what is it that one could do to make markets, not just respond to markets with different ideas and sort of innovation. And um I'd like to think in some ways, you know, we've done an interesting job of this in the context of professionalizing sales. Uh, with the education market being one now that didn't exist, but now does exist, you know, quite strongly, particularly in the UK. Mm -hmm. But but even so, I mean, you you just cannot afford to rest on your laurels. There's always something that's around the next corner, you know, whether it's uh, chat GPT or technology or regulation. And I, th I think also, and we haven't touched upon this really, but the context of the world in which we live in, and I will be talking about this at, at the Stock Exchange, you know, with the geopolitical disruptions taking place, you know, in the Middle East and the ability to be able to take on board external factors as you are enabling your organizations to become better prepared to deal with an uncertain future. I, I just think uh, we have so many challenges that we need to face. So mm -hmm. the more we can equip ourselves as leaders to be more future ready, I think the better. So really looking forward, Kathy, to you uh, joining us and sharing your knowledge with us at that event as well. So I think Thank on that note, we can probably say goodbye for now. Thank you, Kathy. Thank for you. joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Phil.